down here on you guys. Will that detract your uh, appreciation of me? Um, we've been in uh, 2 Corinthians for a few weeks, and I just wanted to hang out. 2 Corinthians has uh, some of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I know that every time a preacher gets up and reads a verse, this is my favorite verse in the Bible, and there's a hundred of them. So this is yet, again, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. But I started thinking about it today, like, well, why is it my favorite verse in the Bible? Um, or one of 3,000 of my favorite verses. And I started thinking, like, well, the reason why it's some of my favorite verses in the Bible is because I think it addresses the biggest need that we have in Christianity. If you've ever um, spent time with anybody that's going through a, a struggle or done any kind of counseling or been alive, so I think some of us fall into that category, you'll realize that a lot, and I think all of the issues that we face in life really boil down to our identity. The, we run into the problems that we run into because we don't treat ourselves, we don't treat others, and we don't treat God the way that we're supposed to. The, the problem started in, um, in Eden. God was awesome. Adam and Eve were awesome. It was perfect. There was, you know, the whole straight-up vegan diet, so, you know, they're hippies living out in the garden. And then all of a sudden, a snake shows up and says, did God really say? And all of a sudden, it planted a doubt in Eve's heart, like, well, maybe God's holding out something from me. And then Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and then it said, and then they were aware of their nakedness. So they ran away from God. They were afraid of God because they thought God was holding something out from them. And then all of a sudden, well, the world's falling apart. I feel naked. I feel ashamed. And so God said, why are you running away from me? And then Adam said, well, because I was naked and I was afraid. And then Adam, or God said, Adam, who told you you were naked? Where did you get that information? Did I tell you that? Did I make you feel ashamed? No, I just invented it. So Adam kind of forgot who he was, forgot who God is, and all of a sudden we are in the state that we are in today because Adam forgot his identity. And so um, growing up, and I didn't grow up in the church, but like starting from, uh, you know, age 11, I sat back there with uh, Jamie. Thank you, Mac. Um, I sat there with my grandmother. My grandmother forced me to start going to church, and if you have any grandkids, it's okay to force people to go to church every once in a while. Um, but she did it. She was super manipulative about it, uh, even though that she worked until she was like 80, I think, 7, had a full-time job until she was 87. She had a really hard time walking on Sundays and Wednesdays. Every other day of the week was fine. She had like literally climbed a tree. I walked outside my front yard one time, and she was about 20 feet up a tree. It's like, Granny, honey, you can't do that because you'll fall and break a hip. She's like, well, I wanted to climb a tree, and I'm old enough to make my own choices. Okay, so, but on Wednesdays and Sundays, she had a really hard time making it in the building. She said, Justin, will you help me get into church? And so she manipulated me into the kingdom of God, which was great. It's really great. Um, and so coming in here, like all of us, all of us originally started outside the family of God, and then all of a sudden, most of it, uh, at least, have been brought into the kingdom of God. And then as we come into the kingdom of God, we start a process of learning things about ourselves that we didn't know before. Oh, you mean I, I can't say words like that? You mean I can't watch stuff on TV like that? And when all of a sudden we develop this list of rules of things that we can and can't do. And for a, you know, a few years, Christianity becomes like, don't do that, do that, don't do that. Well, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do this. And then a lot of us start realizing, 
I'm really bad at this whole Christianity thing. And so we either forget about it. We say, uh, this whole Christianity thing can go take a hike. I tried it. Uh, I don't, I'm not really into that Christianity thing. Or we become masters at hiding all of our junk. Because none of us are allowed to have problems. None of us are allowed to have things that are, that are going on. So it's like, how are you doing today, brother? Well, blessed of the Lord and highly favored. Like, liar, 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 liar. You are not. Your world's falling apart. I know. I have Facebook. I know your world's falling apart. And so we become... Uh, chiefs at manipulating the truth around us to let other people think that we've got things together when we really don't, or we're honest about it and we just say, um, my life's falling apart and I feel that you guys are way too holy to deal with my issues, so I'm going to go spend the rest of my life out here. Um, I do math tutoring sometimes, and I really see this um, at work in our school system, so if you're a teacher, I'm not bashing you, I promise, I'm not bashing you, but it seems like um, math is one of the only subjects that we have a free pass to be horrible at. Like, I could, like, show you equations on the screen right now, and most of the people in the audience, math, I'm bad at math, I'm horrible at math, I'm just not good at math, I do a bad job at math, and it gives us a free pass to make D's and C's in math. I mean, I I don't care. (laughs) You know, your Christianity is not based on your report card, but it's like, I don't do well at math, and I can just say, well, I'm bad at it. When in actual fact, nobody in this room is bad at math. I mean, like, just to catch a ball, like, if I throw you a ball and you catch it, your brain is literally going through calculus computations to figure out the parabolic motion of a ball and to be able to catch a ball. Your brain is doing amazing things. The fact that you can put one foot in front of another and not fall over is an amazing amount of physics, and you don't even know it. God built it into your DNA to just be awesome at math. But the problem is you've convinced yourself or some teacher is like, you're horrible at this. You're never going to amount to anything. You're worthless. And that lie gets into your head, and all of a sudden you've got a free pass to be bad at math for the rest of your life. And most of us don't even do math anymore, but we still have a visceral experience with it. (laughs) Math, I'm bad at math. Well, I had the exact same thing about love in this room for years. I took a spiritual gifting test, which some of us take because that's what we do in charismatic churches. We take spiritual gifting tests. And then the first test I took in the church, you know, like it's bad enough that we take enough tests at school and I've got to come to church and take a test. And I failed at compassion. I like out of 100, I got a 30 on love. Like how do you mess that up that bad? And then all of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, I score bad at love too. It's okay. We're just not compassionate people. And all of a sudden, I had a free pass for like a decade to just be bad at love. Well, I just don't score very highly on compassion. Therefore, I get to be a jerk to whoever I want, and I get a free pass. And I'm just not good at compassion. Same thing that we do at math. But I want to let you know, like, love is the only thing that we have to pass at. <laughs> like, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians, he was like, hey, you guys can prophesy. You can do all these amazing things. You can know everything that there is to know about every subject. And if you fail at love, you are up the creek on that. So none of us have a failing grade in love, just the same way that none of us are bad at math. You've convinced yourself that you're bad at math. And if you got half the chance with a decent teacher, you would amaze yourself at the things that you could accomplish. Same thing with love. If you had half the chance with a decent teacher, you would, you would shock yourself at the things that you could accomplish. So we've been in 2 Corinthians, but I kind of want to start off.
with a verse in uh, 1 Corinthians, if that's okay with you. So uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Now, the Corinthian church were dealing with some stuff that they were just really bad at not living like rank heathens. Um, and in verse six, or chapter 6, starting in verse 9, it says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's one of those verses that you put on the refrigerator. It's like, once you read that verse, like, let's just go home. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, does that apply to everybody in the building? Yeah. Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery. Now, remember that idol worship is any priority that you've placed above God. When have any of us ever done that? Or commit adultery, and Jesus defined adultery as you ever having any kind of lust towards anybody else that you're not married to. I'm sure no one in the room has ever dealt with that. Male prostitution or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy people. I'm sure that none of us have ever experienced greed before. Or are abusive. Have you ever lost your temper on somebody today? Or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, bless God, Paul, just awesome. And then he says something that completely turns that entire verse around. Now, we read that a lot to other people, and it's like, you're doing wrong. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Then verse 11 says, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, we know by reading the rest of uh, 1 Corinthians that a lot of the people in the Corinthian church were still doing all these things. Like, that's the reason why a lot of the chapters in 1 Corinthians are there is because the church was still engaging in all that stuff. But he was like, but that's not you. You've been clean. You've been made holy. You've been made right with God. And so the same thing that we, uh, we talk about, well, I'm bad at math. Well, I'm just, I'm bad at, like, love and compassion and stuff. Or I'm bad at this Christian life. And Paul sits there and goes, no, you used to be. You used to be horrible at it. But because of the power of the gospel, you have been made holy. You have been made right with God. You have been made awesome at math. You have been made awesome at compassion. And I know that you feel like you're not, and you are now currently acting like you're not, but you are holy. And he goes for the rest of the chapter, and he starts talking about, now that you've been made holy, now that you've been made righteous, act like it. You know, if you're good at math, let your scores act like you're good at math because when we when we act contrary of holiness when we act contrary of righteousness all that does is let us know that something is wrong with our identity we have forgotten who we are we have lied to ourselves and it's like well I'm just a sinner well I'm just this I'm just that so um, I had that mindset that I'm just bad at love I just stink at compassion sorry church on the hill I'm just bad at it and what that gave me the opportunity to do is just say anything that I thought about someone, that was, I'm just, bless God, brother, I'm just telling you the truth. You're funny and you smell weird and your mother dresses you funny. I'm just telling you the truth. You know, and I really hurt people's hearts by me just being bad at compassion. Tell him that uh, one of my buddies, and I think I mentioned him every time that I've ever spoken here, my friend Ben Crace. Um, the first thing he ever said to me, we were eating at LTAP. God bless LTAP. Yes, Cancun's better, but that's what we had at the time. So we were sitting at LTAP, and we really connected. Um, he was a missionary. I went to a missionary school, never wanted to be a missionary, but I had friends that were. So we had kind of uh, uh, interested, you know, third-party stories. 
And then as we're leaving to go pay the bill, and he turned around and he's like, Justin, I just want to let you know that you're really loving and compassionate. I failed at that part of my Christian test. Um, I made a 37 on compassion. I'm not really good on that compassion thing. He's like, no, I'm a prophet. I'm a really good prophet. You are awesome at compassion and you are awesome at love. And like, okay, whatever. And that started like a two-year journey with him and his wife. His wife's name, Amy. And they got three beautiful little kids. And I'd go over to their house, and they had eaten. Um, one, of their, uh, one of their kids came up to me, and he had, a, he had an R thing. And first thing he ever said, he's like, Justin, will you help me play with my marbles? I was like, of course, sweetheart. And then they would stop me every time that I would show compassion to one of the kids. Like, Justin, look how compassionate you're being right there. No, 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 this is just for the cute kids. You should see me with the other kids that I don't like. Someone would pull out in front of me, and the rare occasion that I'd be like, oh, man, he's probably just late to work, and I didn't, like, yell or throw a stick at somebody. He's like, look, you just showed compassion to that person. Look how good you are at compassion. Until, like, two years later, one day I woke up and was like, maybe that one test that I took that one time, maybe the test was wrong. Maybe I am good at compassion. And then all of a sudden, everything changed about me. I had a revelation of, like, who I actually was. I'm not bad at math. When I went to Bible school, I've never been a good student, by the way, and I hated math, hated math, Um, because I failed. Everything that I took, I failed at it. And I went to Bible school, and Bible school was really easy, and it was a huge confidence booster. I was like, I can pass. I got this. I can make A's. I can do my homework. Look at me, because homework, what a novel concept that that actually improves your GPA when you do your work. Um, so I got up there, and I started making A's. Like, All right. And I graduated with honors at Bible school. I succeeded at Jesus. Way to go me. So I got back here to tech and finished out my degree, and I took one class, and I was like, I can make A's. And so I made another A at tech, at real people school, not just Bible school, real people school. And then I made another A, and then all of a sudden, I was one of the smart kids in the class. I've never been that. When I, was, uh, when I was going through kind of a struggle in my life, I actually got put in resource classes because, because they thought I had, like, a pretty severe mental handicap. So I was coloring in math in one class, and then a few years later, don't worry about how many years are in between, but a few years later, I was one of the smart kids in the math class. I was, and I actually became a math major until until I saw the light, and I was like, forget that. I don't have to live life like this. I've been set free from the law. Until I was one of the kids in the class that everybody was like, Justin, will you help me study? And all of a sudden, all I needed was a confidence boost to go, okay, I can do this. And so I grew up Christian life in church going, "Mm, I'm not really good at the whole compassion thing. And all I needed was someone to show me, look how good you actually are. I needed a mirror, someone to show me what I actually looked like. Okay, so that being said, that's a pretty good segue to what I'm actually wanted, wanting to talk about. All right, um, 2 Corinthians, starting in uh, chapter 3, um, well, to sum up, background. You guys know Moses, that whole, you know, Exodus, Charlton Heston, let my people go, burning bush guy. Um, well, he comes out leading the nation of Israel through the Red Sea, Lots of people died. It was a you know a real victorious day for him. Gets up to Sinai. God's intention for mankind was to be friends of God. I need a kingdom of priests. 
just to me. I want to be friends. We want to be back to the garden. So Moses goes up on the mountain, and God descends on the mountain. And the nation of Israel just, like, wets themselves with fear. They're like, um, no, that whole God thing, that terrifies us. We like the Egyptian gods that don't do anything. They just stand there. Those don't scare us. But this whole God that shows up in fire, that terrifies me. So Moses, why don't you get your rear end back up on the mountain. You be a friend of God. You get a checklist of all the things that we need to do. Then come back down from the mountain, and we'll do all the things on the checklist. And so God goes, okay, you want a law? You can have a law. Same thing he did with the nation of Israel when they asked for a king. I promise you, you don't want a king. We want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Okay, buddy. You have a king, they will institute taxes. And there, it was a curse. God's uh, idea was never for, to have the IRS. And then all of a sudden, we wanted the IRS, and so we got it. Okay, so if Moses was a friend of God, and he was on the mountain. And he hung out with God, and he was in the presence of the Lord, so much so that his actual face started shining. And he reflected the glory of the Lord. So when he came off the mountain, they were like, well, we were scared of God, and we're still scared of this Moses guy because his skin's glowing. And not like Avon or Mary Kay, sorry. You know, his face wasn't glowing like that. And it's actually kind of funny. There's a, The original King James translation got the word shining or glory wrong because the word for glory or shining and the word for horn is really close. And so they actually wrote that Moses came off the mountain and he had horns. So if you look at old school, like, Renaissance pictures of Moses, he will have horns, and that's why. So get out your phones and Google that. Okay, so Paul is talking about that. And so it's, he contrasts in, the, in the, these next few chapters on the difference between working to get to God. I need, I need a checklist. I need you to tell me what I can and can't do versus actually having a relationship with him. Actually having a relationship with him is the gospel. Working to get to God is the law, okay? So in uh, chapter 3, verse 18, it says, So all of us that have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So what in the world does that mean? Well, he says that the law was such a junky thing that even today, when you read the law, when you come to God with the intention of like, I'm going to impress God. I'm going to make sure that I've fasted enough. I've read my Bible enough. I'm working to make him happy. It says that when we do that, it makes a veil come over our eyes that we can't see the light of the gospel. We're staring at Jesus and we still can't see him. And that's why the Pharisees missed him. They had a veil over their face that Jesus in the flesh, they missed. Okay, so, but we who have heard the call of the gospel, it's like, you mean God wants to be friends with me, not because of what I've done, just because he loves me? You mean he just loves me just because that's what he does? He, he loves because he loves because he loves? Yes. All of a sudden, the veil gets removed, and it says that we stand there, and we experience the presence of the Lord. And I think the NIV says that we stand as in front of a mirror. Um, New Living says that we see and reflect the glory of God. So imagine that. I'm coming, I'm walking up to a mirror and I catch a glimpse. It's like, oh my goodness, that is beautiful. I'm seeing the glory of the Lord. But the weird thing is the language is that I am also a mirror. And I also reflect the glory of the Lord. 
So it's the same thing that Ben was. He was that mirror in front of me that reflected the, the glory that was coming um, off of me. And has anyone ever, like, been, uh, you don't text and drive, I know that, but if the sun ever hits something shiny in your car and you, like, get blinded for a second, my cell phone, amazing though it is, is a little bit too small. So imagine this. You're going to love this. Oh, look at that. Look how, look how awesome that is. Isn't that great? Look at all that landing light. Just know that every time that we preach, this is how bright it is up here, just so you know. This is how bright it is. So if we ever look like we're in the glory, we're not. We just can't see. We're blinded. So imagine that, that you are standing there in the presence of the Lord like this. But he says that it's like a mirror. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, because we have heard the gospel, we get in here and it's like, oh, Jesus. Has anyone ever, like, experienced the presence of the Lord? Well, I want to let you know you are experiencing that because you're standing in front of a mirror. And we think, God, where does that glory come from? God, that you would just fall from heaven. Have you ever prayed that? God, if you would just, it's coming from you. You are the source of it. It says that we stand and we see and reflect the glory of the Lord. That when you walk by the mirror of the presence of the Lord, you're like, hmm, that is a good reflection. It's you. Even though that it looks like Jesus, it's you. But we, because we have let the enemy convince us that we're, I'm just not good at that whole Jesus thing. We manipulate reality around us to we, where we can't see Jesus in us. Now, I can see it in you guys. Oh, I mean, of course Cody's amazing. Of course Mikey is the very image of Jesus. Have you ever hung out with the guy? Like, of course he's Jesus. But when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, you receding hair, just more hair. I just need more hair. We see all the flaws in ourselves because the enemy has conditioned us that we're worthless. But Paul says here that when we experience the presence of the Lord, it's because we're standing in a mirror. We are both receiving and reflecting that presence. And uh, jump down into uh, chapter 4, verse 6. It says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God. What is the glory of God? That is seen in the face of Jesus. Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile jars of clay containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Now, so we have this glory, we have this light, we have this, you know, foggy presence of the Lord, then all of a sudden it takes shape. It's the glory that's seen in the face of Jesus. And so when we stand in front of a mirror, it would be ridiculous for us to not be fooled that it's Jesus standing in front of us. And that is the gospel is that he has taken nasty, you know, worm in the dirt, you, and has transformed you into the very image of Jesus. Now, I understand that when we're sitting here, like, you haven't hung out with me today. You don't know what you're talking about. I am not, I do not, this does not look like Jesus at 7 o'clock in the morning, I promise you. In actual fact, it does. And any time that we say that we don't look like Jesus, we're being like me when I was like, I'm just bad at that whole compassion thing. You're not. You do look like Jesus. And one of the amazing things is that I am a mirror of the image of Jesus. Now, he says that we're like fragile jars of clay. So, admittedly, the mirror is a little dirty. I get that. But he says we're fragile jars of clay. So, it's real thin. So, most of the light that's coming out of us is Jesus. You just miss it. Your eyes have gotten used to your own beauty. And so, you just see the flaws. 
And so he says that as we sit here and experience the presence of the Lord and we perceive that image, and it's like, oh, Jesus, you're amazing. Jesus, you're amazing. And he's looking at us and it's like, Justin, you're amazing. He's like, no, Jesus, you're amazing. All of a sudden, we have been elevated to a relationship only shared by the Trinity. You know, the angels didn't, God didn't need the angels to worship him. They worshiped each other. The son would be like, Father, you're amazing. And the father's like, Son, you're wonderful. And that Holy Spirit guy, man, he is amazing. Holy Spirit's like, Father, you're incredible for all of eternity. And because of the gospel, he has elevated us into that relationship. Paul says that we are hidden in Christ. So we get to experience that whole, Jesus, you're amazing. Church, you're fantastic. Have you ever read Revelation? Have you ever heard what the bride's description of is in the church? It says beautiful gems. It was like, and like gates like pearls. Like, I don't know what that means, but it's really pretty. He says that about the bride. We think that he's describing a city that we're going to live in. But at the end of Revelation, he said, behold, the bride of heaven that's come down. He's talking about you. So Jesus, for the rest of eternity, is going to be like, Teresa, you are amazing. Jamie, do you understand how amazing you are? And Jamie's going to go, Jesus, you're amazing. Do you understand how amazing you are? But when it comes to us, especially in the South and especially in the church in the South, we have this whole false humility thing that we break off that relationship. If it's good for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they're wanting to include us into that friendship, how dumb are we to be like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm bad at that whole compassion thing. No, you're not. You're just being an idiot right now. Just stop being an idiot. And so what happens is that God has seeded the world with the church. And so I'm sitting here. I don't know any of this. I've got a veil that's covering my mind because I'm trying to work at it. I'm trying to get better at it. I'm trying to work harder. I just need to be more like Jesus. If I try really hard, I'll be like Jesus. Maybe one day in the sweet by and by when Beulah shows up, like, we'll get it. You know, maybe one day. And we try to work, and then all of a sudden one of my buddies comes up to me, and he's like, Justin. Man, you're incredible at this. No, you don't know what you're talking about. And because I have relationship and friendship with people in the family of God, they're like, no, I'm going to hang out with you, and I'm going to keep on telling you that you're amazing at this until you stop being an idiot and actually believe me. And you're like, really? You really think that I'm awesome at that? Oh, you're amazing at that. And all of a sudden, I've matured in my faith because my friend is sitting next to me, and he's acting like a mirror. And so imagine that. If all, if all of us got mylar sheets, it would be horrible. But if all of us got mylar sheets and stood up on the stage and just reflected the spotlights in each other's eyes. Now, we can sit here in worship and say, Father, we just want your fire to fall. We want your glory. If we could just get some of that revival. Jesus, give me some of the revival. When in actual fact, he has surrounded us with it. We have just blinded ourselves. Like, I don't love you guys the way that I need to. And if I caught a glimpse of who you really are, oh, I couldn't get enough of you because you reflect Jesus to me. And the funny thing about it is all of us are at different areas of our life, not stages. It's not that any of us are any closer to God or further away, but we're just in different places in the map. And so you're reflecting your little beautiful mylar sheet, and all of a sudden I look over at Mark, and I catch a glimpse of God's image through his eyes. I've never seen that side of him before. Mark, won't you explain? Won't you give me your testimony? Won't you teach me? Mark, just love on me. And all of a sudden, I get an image of Jesus that I would never have seen had I not been friends with Mark because he's on a different level than I am. I'm over here. And when you catch a side of Jesus lived out through my life, you're like, Justin, oh my goodness, I've got to go hang out with you. 
But if we don't make friends with the family of God, I miss God. And so he's up in heaven going, man, it's all around you. Just open up your eyes. It's like the kids on Facebook that are crying because they can't go to sleep. I want to take a nap. <laughs> take a nap. I just want revival. You're in it. You are the revival. And so when you hook up with, you know, friends at work or people through, you know, Starbucks drive through and stuff like that, you are literally reflections of God's glory. And they are literally reflections of God's glory to you. And it is our job to notice that because we don't see in the, or in the flesh, we see in the, in the spiritual. And so when Cody comes around me and he bumps into me and I see Jesus fall out of him, it is my job to encourage that and go, oh, way to go, man. Did you see what you just did there? Oh, you were fantastic at this. Oh, you're amazing. And it's not blowing smoke. It's not manipulating. It's revealing me looking into the spiritual and finding the gold in somebody. And when we say we need to find the gold in somebody, that's what we're talking about. You're hanging out with, all, with them, and all of a sudden you catch a glimpse of a flash that something that Jesus would do, and you lock onto that. Even though that a second later, a big, thick jar of clay mudslide will cover over, and it's like, <laughs> I missed it. And it might be 40 years until you see that again, but you know that it's there. We know eventually we can get back into it. Hey, remember that one time that you were amazing at this one thing once, and it never happened again, but I still believe that that could be, could be in there, and one day it'll come out to the surface. Because Paul said that the glory that we are experiencing was greater than that of Moses because the glory that Moses experienced was from the outside working in and it was fading. But the glory that we are experiencing starts as a little fire on the inside and is radiating itself outside until one day all of this physical stuff is transformed. And, now the, or and then there's no longer a jar of clay to hide when, when John goes up to heaven, when he sees the throne room, and he says, and I saw around the throne, it looked like a sea of glass that was so pure. It was actually gold, but it was clear because of the purity, all reflecting the glory of the Lamb because they themselves were mirrors, and that's what we are. We are the sea of glass that's standing around the throne, reflecting God's glory to him, him reflecting our glory back to us, us reflecting the glory of the Lord to each other, it is a beautiful thing sitting here in Cookville, Tennessee in December. I get it. But we've got to have eyes to see what is actually true of us. So how about we just dedicate that we are not going to complain about how we're awful at math or we're awful at compassion or we're awful at that whole Jesus thing anymore. How about that? How about you guys are amazing at being the church of God? We all have dust on us. It's, it's okay. We've all got a little bit of dust on us. But you are fantastic at showing and revealing the glory of the Lord. Amen. All right.